but we are looking at six short verses, John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And again, it's a short story, but it's there, these verses are incredibly packed. This is a tremendously significant event. Um, in fact, this is such a significant event. Matthew and Mark, in, in their Gospels, also give an account of what happens uh, here and what we're going to read. Uh, and Matthew and Mark both tell us that at the end of this event, what happens here? The disciples, the 12 disciples, for the very first time, are going to acknowledge that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Very first time, they finally get it. It clicks, and they acknowledge that he's the It's after this event. This is the catalyst. And the, for the very first time, they're going to bow down and worship him as the Lord. Okay? They've, they've seen a lot. They've witnessed a lot. They've done a lot. They've experienced a lot. But it's this moment, it's this event that finally penetrates their hard hearts. So... Uh, let's, let's jump in, let's read the text, and then we'll pray and ask God to uh, open our eyes in that same way. John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Um, We pray, Lord, that uh, by the power of uh, your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, open our eyes to the truth here, and God, may we um, understand and embrace the truths here in such a way that it would radically transform us. Would you continue the work that you have started within so many here, Lord, and, just, and, and build us up, conform us into the image of Jesus, and I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture as part of that. Um, God, we, we know that the disciples, it was this event that, that opened the eyes of the disciples, and so God, in the very same way, I pray that you would use this event to open our eyes. And that we would respond in the very same way that the disciples did in declaring you to be the Son of God and bowing down in worship. Please speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's back up here for a minute. Let's back up and see again how this plays out. So Jesus and his disciples are right where we left them. Remember last week, they were on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they had just, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Remember, so Jesus is teaching, he's doing these miracles, he's just fed the 5,000 people. And then we're told that that evening, very same day, that evening, Jesus makes his disciples get into a boat and then sends them out onto the water alone. And we're told that when they're about three or three and a half miles out or so, this big storm all of a sudden sweeps into the lake and, and, um, and, and it just overtakes them. Um, we know that the Sea of Galilee uh, is, is it's, it's kind of uh, deep in this valley. It's actually overshadowed by some mountain ranges. The mountain ranges actually rise up to about 4,000 feet above sea level. And so what happens is often there would be this cold air that would rush down from the mountainside and would collide with the warm air that rises off of the surface of the water. So you've got this cold air that comes in, meets this warm air, and what happens is storm. These sudden, violent storms. And this is exactly what happened that night. The disciples, uh, you know, hit the storm and they're thrown clear off course. They were pretty far north up here in the Sea of Galilee and they're pushed way down deep south and they're stranded in the middle of this massive lake, the Sea of Galilee. And we're told that they row and they strain against the wind and the waves for hours and hours. 
hour after hour after hour. The word actually used to describe their straining, their laboring against the wind, actually implies a level of violence. The word that's used is actually synonymous for torture. Um, so in other words, that the, they're battling against the wind and the waves is actually torturous. It's painful. It's agonizing. Um, but we're told that at the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., they see, as they're battling, they, they see this figure coming towards them uh, in the mist, a, a, among the waves. They see this figure approaching the boat. And, and as you can imagine, they're utterly terrified um, as they see this figure approaching them. But then the, the, the figure calls out, It is I. Don't be afraid. It's I. Don't be afraid. It's Jesus. Matthew and Mark actually tell us the full statement that he makes. What he says is, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus found them. He found them. Even though the disciples had been blown miles off course, and even though there was this massive storm that stands between where they are now and where they left Jesus, probably upwards of nine hours ago, there's this massive storm standing between them, but Jesus found them and met them right where they are. Um, this is the story. And over the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to point out three things, that, three key truths that I pulled out this week as I was studying this. Number one, Jesus is Lord. We see that Jesus is Lord. Second, Jesus is Lord of the storm. Specifically, Jesus is Lord of the storms out there. And then third, Jesus is Lord of the storms in here. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of the storm out there. And he's Lord of the storm in here. That's where we're going today. So first... Jesus is Lord. How do we see this? Well, he, he shows us in this event, in this incident, in both word and deed, by what he says and by what he does, Jesus is going to declare that he is none other than God in the flesh. Let's look first at what he does. So notice that he's not just, Jesus doesn't approach the boat just, just walking on water. Jesus is walking through a storm. You ever think about that? He's not just walking on water. He's walking through a storm. And John doesn't tell us that he's got to you know, like roll up his sleeves and put his head down and kind of trudge through the storm. right? He doesn't have to kind of labor through the storm. No, he walks through the storm. He heads straight towards them with this power and this control and this sovereignty over nature, this sovereignty over creation. Job 9 tells us that God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. God alone trampled the waves of the sea. And now you've got Jesus here trampling the waves of the sea. He's headed right through these hurricane force winds towards those whom he loves. Nothing will stop him. Nothing can keep him back. Um, and remember, this isn't the first time they've seen Jesus exercise his dominion or his sovereignty, his power over nature. Um, there's, there's an earlier incident when, when Jesus and the 12 disciples are, are in the midst of this violent life-threatening storm. But remember, this time Jesus is sleeping on the boat. And the disciples are freaking out. And they're thinking, are, they go and they shake him and they, they, they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. Help us. And so we're told that Jesus actually stands up. He rolls out of bed. He stands up. He, he looks at the, the, at the wind and the waves and he says, peace, be still, as if he's scolding a child. He says, peace, be still, and immediately... The wind stops, and we're told that the lake is calm. It's like glass. So it's not as if, you know, the wind just, at, from that point on, like, begin to die down, and the waves, you know, just continue to roll for a few hours while the momentum of the water kind of dissipates. No, there's just immediate, dead calm. The, the lake is like glass around them. 
And the disciples, as you can imagine, are terrified, and they look at Jesus, and they look at each other, and they say, who is this guy in our boat that even the wind and the waves obey? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? And now they see Jesus literally treading on the waves of the sea, wielding this power that only God is said to have. But what we need to see here is that what Jesus said was just as amazing as what he does. What Jesus said that night as he was treading those waves is just as amazing as what he did. This is what he says to his disciples. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Um, the word, the phrase, it is I, is translated from the Greek, ego eimi. Ego eimi. Literally, that could be translated, that should be translated, I am. That's what he said. I am. He said, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is standing in the presence of God, and Moses actually asks God, I remember, you know, God telling him, hey, go free the people, and and God said, uh, well, what if your people ask what your name is? What's your name? And God says, remember, I am that I am. I am is what he says. Have you ever thought about what that meant? What What does that imply? The name I am? When God says, I am, he's saying, I have no beginning and I have no end. I am. I I, I have no cause. I don't exist because of something else. Everything else exists because of me. Another thing is when you say, I am, that, that implies that there is no I will be. When you say, I am... It's, it's eliminating any, any potential for I will be. There is no I will be with God because God does not change. When you say I will be, it means that I'm going to be something other than what I am right now at this very moment. But God is not fickle. He is not shifting. He is not in progress. He's not in process like you and I are. He's not progressing. I am. So do you consider the name that, that, that these disciples just heard Jesus take upon himself. He's saying I am. He's saying, guys, Take heart, I am, I have no beginning, I have no end, I am the uncaused creator of everything, I am perfect, I am complete, I am lacking in nothing. This is what Jesus takes upon himself, he says, I am. And then if there's any questions in their minds about whether or not he's right, he's he's telling the truth, we're told that Jesus steps into the boat, and when he does, at that immediate moment, they're docked at the shore, They're at the shore. And what Matthew and Mark tell us, John leaves this part out, but Matthew and Mark tell us that when they arrive at the shore in that instant, the winds cease. Completely done. It's calm. So now their response isn't, who is this guy? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey? This time their response is, truly you are the son of God. And they fall to their knees and they worship him. Truly you are God. And they bow down and they worship So first, Jesus is Lord, and he declares it in what he does and by what he says. But before we move on to point two, let me just briefly mention the implications. We say this virtually every week here, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus makes extreme claims, and extreme claims demand an extreme response. We, in our culture, we like Jesus, but he doesn't give us that option. Uh, These claims that that, that Jesus makes, in his words and his actions, demand an extreme response. There's There's no room for moderation. 
here. There, it, we, you, you either love him or you hate him. You crown him or you kill him. You worship him or you reject him. Those are the options that he gives us. When you make claims like that, you don't leave any room for the middle. There's no, he doesn't give us room for the lukewarm, does he? If you think Jesus is wrong here, if you reject the idea that Jesus is God, then the only reasonable response for us today is to reject him altogether. Um, in our study so far, we're 20 weeks into this study through John. Um, in our study, what we've seen, among other things, is that, we, that Jesus claims to be God in virtually every scene and every story on every page of the gospel. Um, he says, I- I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, the only way that you can have life is through me. Okay? He, he, he says, uh, I'm the judge of heaven and earth. One day when you die, you will stand before me and you will give me an account. Jesus makes those claims. Um, Jesus says, I'm older than Satan. Okay? He said, I saw, I saw Satan cast down from heaven. All right? Jesus walks around forgiving people of their sins. You realize that you can't forgive somebody unless the offense has been against you, right? That's why the Pharisees get upset about that. They say, who does this guy think he is forgiving sins? Nobody can forgive sins but God. Precisely. Jesus is walking around claiming that every offense, every sin has been against him personally. So when Jesus goes around forgiving sins, he's claiming divinity. Extreme claims. And if he is not God, then he's either a liar or a charlatan or a raving lunatic. And the only reasonable reaction to him is to reject him and his teachings. But if he is God, if he is God, then the only reasonable response that we have is we get on our knees and we worship him and we listen to him and we obey him and we place everything we are in his hands. We trust him. We place our faith in him. We offer him our wholehearted allegiance and devotions with no strings attached. If he he is God, if he is our Lord, we offer him all that we are without conditions. That's the response we need to give him. Extreme claims demand an extreme response. So first, Jesus is Lord. Second, we said Jesus is Lord of the storm. Specifically, Jesus is Lord of the storms out here. Um, What do I mean by that? Jesus does not drive an ambulance. Jesus doesn't drive an ambulance. He's not surprised or, or, or taken aback by the things that happen in your life. Um. He doesn't need to speed over to try to save us. He is sovereign over the storms in our life. He is in control at all times. He is the Lord of the storm. And I want to show you how, how Jesus makes this evident uh, throughout the story. First, uh, I'll point out three quick observations here. First, how do the disciples find themselves in the storm in the first place? How do they find themselves in that storm? Matthew and Mark actually tell us, John leaves this part out, but Matthew and Mark actually tell us that Jesus makes them get in the boat. The word that is actually used is he forced them in the boat. Jesus forced them in the boat and sent them out onto the water. Mark actually tells us towards the end of of his account that the reason why they didn't understand, the, the reason why this was so shocking to them, this event here, was because their hearts were still hardened, even after listening to all of Jesus' teachings and experiencing all of these amazing things. And they literally that day, they watched Jesus supernaturally take five barley loaves, two fish, and, and multiply it to feed thousands and thousands. Remember, the disciples were at the servers, they were the ones out distributing it to everybody. But, but Mark tells us that, that the disciples were still stubborn and their hearts were hardened. They still didn't understand it. 
So we have to see this story in light of what just happened. I believe when Jesus saw the hardness of the, 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 uh, the hearts of the disciples, he says, okay, get in the boat. Get in the boat. And then he sends them out onto that water. I believe that Jesus deliberately sent the disciples into a storm. And I know that sounds a little harsh. That sounds a little rough. But Jesus is committed to opening the eyes and the hearts of the disciples. And he knows in his perfect wisdom that this is what it's going to take. Their moment of clarity didn't come through listening to all of these sermons, all of these teachings. Their moment of clarity didn't come through the feasts or through the blessings that they had experienced that day. Their moment of clarity came as their boat is being pounded by waves. And they're in these moments of defeat and despair and hopelessness. They were only able to see Jesus for who he is in light of their own weakness, in light of their own frailty. They needed to see Jesus' glory contrasted to their own lack of glory, their own powerlessness. There will be times, friends, when Jesus will send us into situations that feel dangerous and it feels as if Jesus is distant. He's off up on a mountain somewhere praying. He's off somewhere over there far, far away. But what we must remember when those days come is that Jesus is Lord of the storm. He, these things, it's not like he's off here napping and he's forgotten about us and our life is falling apart and, and God you know, doesn't care. No, 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 he is Lord of the storm. He, he will uh, sometimes let these wind, this wind and this rain and these waves pour over us, not because he's got this, this like, sadistic like, joy watching us strain against the oars, you know, or, or, or feel hopeless or powerless. But, there, but he is committed to opening our eyes and our hearts and conforming us into the image of Jesus. And he knows in his perfect wisdom, his sovereign wisdom, that there are times when the only way that's going to happen is by saying, get in the boat. It's time, to, it's time to take a trip. Sending us into the storm. If you're experiencing that storm today, if you're experiencing trials today, remember, friends, remember, God is in control. He works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? We know that. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We could just keep listing off promises we can hold on to in the scriptures. Jesus is Lord of the storm. But we have to realize first, we have to note first that Jesus will oftentimes send us into the storm. Second observation that we need to make is how does Jesus comfort the disciples in this moment? How does he engage the disciples during this storm? Let me first tell you what he doesn't do. This is what he doesn't say to the disciples. He doesn't say, uh, guys, take heart. Don't be afraid. I I, was just talking to the Father. I just caught the weather report and the storm's going to be dying down soon. This too shall pass. Okay? That's how we handle storms. We tell each other, we say, take heart, this too shall pass. Just give it some time. Um, hang your head, you know, hold your head up, hang in there. This too shall pass, but that's not what he says. He also doesn't say, guys, take heart. You think this is bad? This isn't nearly as bad as it could be. It could be a whole lot worse. Comparing it to other people's storms, other storms. Again, that's the way we handle the storms in our life. We say, ah, it could be worse. At least, I've got, at least I've got my health. 
At least we've got our job. At least, hey, it could be worse. I could be like that guy, right? I could have issues like that person. But again, that's not how Jesus responds to the storm. Please hear me. He doesn't minimize the storm. He maximizes himself. That's how he handles the storm. That's how he comforts the disciples. He doesn't minimize their storm. He maximizes himself. He doesn't say, take heart, the storm will pass eventually. Nor does he say, take, take heart, the storm isn't all that bad. Buck up, man up. He says, take heart, I am. Take heart, I'm here. It's me. Don't be afraid anymore. That's how we deal with the storm. Turn our eyes upon Jesus, we look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Last observation, we'll move to our final point. I want you to see the unique way that Jesus addresses the storm. Um, we need to understand, so we, we talked, Jesus sends us into the storms, this is how he comes to the disciples, how is he going to address the storm? We have to understand that Jesus will handle each storm differently. Um, Remember I told you that in the last storm that they were in, um, the, the uh, 12 disciples, they wake Jesus up, and Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still, and it stops. Friends, there will be a time when you will cry out to the Lord and you say, God, there is a storm raging in my heart. There's a storm raging in my life, and I'm afraid, and I need your help. Help me. And then sometimes, occasionally, Jesus will actually stand up, and he'll look at that storm, and he'll say, peace, be still, and immediately it will be gone. That's a good day, right? That's a, that's a great day. Okay? When Jesus just immediately st- stops the storm. In this case, however, he doesn't do that, does he? In this storm, he, he determines that it's best to keep it going, and he shows his power over the storm. We're told actually in Matthew, again, John doesn't record this, but Matthew tells us that before Jesus steps into the boat and then you know, brings him across to the other side of the, of the lake, before this happens, Peter actually gets out of the boat... And as long as Peter will keep his eyes on Jesus, he, Peter actually walks on the water, which means that, that Jesus' power over that storm is transferred to Peter as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. Do you see what that so, what that so well illustrates? It illustrates this, that sometimes Jesus is going to get rid of the storms immediately, and other times he says, I'm not going to calm the storm quite yet. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to empower you to meet that storm. I'm going to teach you how to walk through that storm. I'm going to teach you how to walk over that storm. I'm not going to calm the storm yet, but I am going to use it, and it's going to grow you, and it's going to empower you. Jesus handles every storm differently, and this is hard for us to accept because, frankly, oftentimes we don't like the way he handles the storms. Um, oftentimes we, we, we don't understand it, we don't like it, but to, to accept the, the, this reality, we've got to come back to point number one. Point number one, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We have to trust that he knows what he is doing and that what he is doing ultimately is going to be for his glory and for our good. It's like the beavers told the Pevensies. He is not safe, but he is good, and he's the king. That's what we need to be reminded of when we're going through the storms. He is good. He is the king. So before we move to our last point, let me ask you, have you... Maybe today, maybe today the answer is yes. But have you ever felt like those disciples? Have you ever feel like you've been in that boat that night, you've been rowing all night long, and you're straining, and you're laboring, and it just, it feels like torture, it's it's agony, but you just can't seem to make any progress. Jessica kind of referenced that a little bit a few minutes ago, didn't she? It's like day after day, she's just 
laboring and she's praying, but she just can't, couldn't seem to make any progress. Have you ever felt like you were right in the heart of this storm and it feels like Jesus is distant? He's way up on a mountain somewhere, nowhere near you when you need him the most. Have you ever felt like Jesus told you to do something? He led you to do something. And then when you went out and you obeyed him, the storm hit, you got blown way off course, and now you feel stranded. If you haven't experienced that yet, you will. We say it all the time here, but we're one phone call away. Every person in this room, we're one phone call away from our life getting turned upside down. One phone call. We must remember what we learn here in, the, in this story. In those moments, in those days, in those seasons, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Look through the wind, look through the rain, look through the fog, because Jesus is closer than we realize. Jesus is coming. This is why we're in the storm in the first place, just so we can, we can, Jesus will maximize himself in our lives. One of my favorite songs, Come ye sinners, weak and weary, sick and sore. Jesus is ready, he stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye sinners, weak and weary, sick and sore. Jesus is ready, he stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Um, it's Mother's Day. Uh, Jessica and I were talking about our moms just yesterday, actually. Yesterday afternoon, we were, we were uh, talking about what we were going to do for our moms. And, and she reminded me of this once uh, uh, time. So we're just kind of sharing little special moments about our moms. Just things. She reminded me of this time back when I was 18. And I, I thought this might be something I could share with you guys. I'm, I'm not too embarrassed about it anymore. Um, I, I'm far enough removed uh, from this. Um, when I was 18, I, the, literally the day after I graduated high school, my parents moved up to a, uh, right outside of Salem, Oregon, a little town called Kaiser. And so um, I was dating this really gorgeous girl uh, named Jessica. And um, I thought, man, if I move a state away, she's going to find somebody much better. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to stick around. I'll stay here. And I said goodbye to my family. The day after I graduated high school, I moved into the little studio apartment. Um, and I, I got a job. Um, I quit Miller's Outpost, which is an old clothing store. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I got a job working um, construction for the first time. So imagine, 18 years old, just out of high school, I have my own place, I'm working construction, I'm feeling like a man. I got a little cocky, okay, the, the pride was, was, was kind of building a little bit, but I just was feeling like a man. I just felt good, right, for a little while. Um, I was living in, in Antioch, which it's nowhere near what it is here, but it's still expensive to live out there, and uh, and. A week went by, and another week, and another week, and I realized that they keep sending you bills every month. Um, and and I'm, life just hit, and it hit hard, and it hit fast. And I realized I wasn't all that good at construction, right? I kept making mistakes, and the bills kept coming. And I'll just, long story short, I just got discouraged. I was just... Uh, I felt like was just, these arrows just kept hitting me, and I just was getting discouraged. Life, got, life got a lot more difficult. I, at first, I was like, ha-ha, all you buddies still living with your parents, you know, lame. And then I realized, sorry, guys, I can't go. I got to go to work. I, I, I got to pay my bills. And, and life just got, it got, it got hard fast, and I, and I got discouraged. And by the end of the summer, end of the summer, I went and visited my folks up in Kaiser. And I was telling my folks while I was up there, I was like, man, it's, just, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I, I felt like I was failing at work, and I felt like I was failing with my finances, and um, my landlord was kind of crazy. And, um, 
And then uh, when I was up there visiting and I was t- sharing this stuff with him over these, these several days, I actually ended up getting sick a little bit too. I got a little, uh, like a flu. And so I just was feeling, looking miserable and I was feeling miserable. And I remember one night when I was uh, walking around the house and I had a blanket around me and uh, just walking through the house and past my, the family room where my mom was sitting and talking to my brother and she, my mom called me in and I uh, went in and I uh, she had me sit down next to her. And, uh, let, me, let me back up just to let you in on a little bit of my family dynamic. My parents are two of the most godly people you'll ever meet. Okay? My parents are incredible. Um, and they're, they're great parents as well. Not just godly man and woman, but they're uh, great parents. My dad is the kind of guy who's very affectionate. Uh, I, I heard I love you from my dad every single day of my life growing up. And my dad was constantly hugging me, just a very affectionate guy. Uh, my mom loved me just as much as my dad did, but she just showed it in a different way. My mom poured herself out for our family. I have eight brothers. Some of you don't know that. I have, there's nine boys in my family. Okay? So you can imagine the, the toil and the labor and the, just how much my mom uh, really poured out for us. Okay, my mom was just a servant to the core. She really set an example for us in that. She just sacrificially, selflessly gave of herself every single day. I always knew my mom loved me. But my mom didn't express it in the same way that my dad did. My mom wasn't, I didn't hear a whole lot of I love yous from my mom, but I saw it. That night, I'm uh, wrapped up in my little blanket. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling miserable. I look miserable. I'm just pathetic. Honestly, I look back. and What a pathetic, you know, 18-year-old. Um, but... She, she calls me in to the room, and I sit down next to her, and I don't know what it was, but after she talked to my brother, my brother left the room, and I just sat there with my mom, and I remember, um, I don't know what it was that compelled her to do this, but I remember her taking her, putting her arm around me, and putting me down, and actually holding me in her lap. And for, for you guys, maybe that's not that big of a deal, but for me, uh, I, I don't know if I can really even put it into words what that did. Um, she, she actually laid me down in her lap and started playing with my hair. Um, I'm an 18-year-old I'm guy who was living on his own, working construction, who found, listen, who found complete joy and peace in the arms of his mother. Like everything else, all of the other things that had been like just weighing me down and discouraging me, like melted away in that moment. Um. Again, I'm not too embarrassed to say that. And I, and I tell you that because, because this, is exa- this illustrates exactly what I believe Christ is calling us to do. It, his arms, his embrace, his love for us is infinitely more powerful than the love of my mother. You know that. That's why he says, take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid anymore. Some of you who are walking through a storm today or tomorrow or the next day, you've, you've got to remember, he's here. Again, I, I, I'll read it again. This will be the third time. Come, ye sinners, weak and weary, sick and sore. Jesus is ready. He stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I'm going I'm to, I, I told you I had one more point, but I'm, I'm gonna actually going to stop right here. I'm just going to stop because I, I want to make sure you guys get out in time. The only thing I'm going to say is this. I told you Jesus is Lord of the storm out there, but Jesus is also Lord of the storm in here. Um, I'm just going to do one last reading. Joe, it's the last reading on there. Um, Jesus is able to bring peace 
to the storm in here and give us the power to walk through the storms out there. Because there was one storm in the life and the ministry of Jesus. There was one storm in the the life and ministry of Jesus that he did not calm, nor did he walk through, did he walk upon. There was one storm in the life of Jesus that sunk him. There was one storm that sunk him. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of our sin is death, and Jesus took those wages upon himself. He was forsaken by God on that cross. And the waves of God's wrath and justice poured out on him to give us that gift of life. Let me, let me read this to you. Jesus tells us, someday I'm going to calm all the storms, still all the waves. I'm going to destroy destruction, break brokenness, kill death. How can he do that? He can do it only because when he was on the cross, he was thrown into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm was not calmed, not until it swept him away. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he would abandon you in the much smaller storms you're experiencing right now? If you let that penetrate to the very center of your being, you will know he loves you. You will know he cares. And you will have the power to handle anything in life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you uh, have shown us in this event. We thank you, God, that you have proven who you are and what you are capable of. Lord, we we thank you, God, that we can trust you. We can trust and and know that you are with us each and every single day, Lord, and that you do love us. Again, I said it in the beginning, Lord, that you proved it by dying on the cross for our sins. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room. I ask, Lord, that if there is any person here today that has never said yes to the forgiveness that you have acquired through, through being sunk in that storm, Lord, that they would do that today, that they would say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I am... I am uh, Life is, is, is falling apart. Life is turbulent. I need you to bring peace in my heart. God, I pray that they would do that today. And for all of us, Lord, who have been walking with you maybe for a little while, Lord, that you would um, remind us each and every day this week, Lord, that, that we don't walk out of here alone. God, that you have made your home in our heart and you give us the power to walk through anything in life today. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.